What's going on, Lender Nation? This is your host, Keith Baker, saying hello again from my hiatus. Thank you for listening. And because you're a, a loyal and faithful listener, I want to give you some replays of some old episodes that I, uh, I really enjoyed either making or enjoyed receiving the, uh, the valuable content from it. So we're going to continue with that. And today we're going to go back best of episode three, the first part of the interview with Chris Funk, who helped me, well, helped me tremendously, but uh, got me into my first commercial loan and has been a trusted friend ever since. So here we go. Best of episode three. Enjoy. Private Lender Podcast, episode three. Private lending is predicated based on the asset. You know, the, the, the whole thing we're doing here is the asset has to pass with flying colors all by itself with plenty of equity. And, and that's kind of what holds the whole thing up. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Welcome to another episode of the Private Lender Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and I'm honored that you are sharing your most precious commodity with me today, and that is your time for this episode number three. I promise you that I will do my best to make sure that you get your money's worth. Little joke, not funny. Today I have the honor of interviewing real estate investor and private lender Chris Funk. At a relatively young age, Chris became a well-respected investor in the Houston area by wholesaling, flipping, and owner financing properties. Chris is a frequent speaker and panelist at several real estate investing associations in Houston. And during his interview, Chris shares a lot of valuable insight and information uh, into the world of private lending. Both lenders and borrowers, I believe, really have a lot to gain from his experience and by listening to what Chris has to offer on this episode. But before we get into the interview with Chris, first I'd like to thank our sponsor. Private Lender Podcast is proudly sponsored by Bell Station, which is located in the heart of Midtown Houston. Bell Station offers a modern bar environment with a southern charm. Whether you're a sports enthusiast, a beer nerd, wine lover, or just a social butterfly, Bell Station has got you covered. You can visit Bell Station at 207 Gray Street, Houston, in the 77002, or visit them on the web at bellstationhtx.com. That's B-E-L-L-E stationhtx.com. And now, back to the show. So first off, I'd like to say that I bungled another interview and completely forgot my ideas and questions, and that's because I know Chris fairly well. In fact, he's the first person, first investor to whom I ever loaned money, and I was very impressed with him as an investor as an in, and as an inv- individual. He handles his business as just that, a business, and he's blunt, honest, straight up with everyone he deals with, and he's also a lot of fun to be around, and he loves talking about real estate. And that makes him a perfect guest here on the Private Lender Podcast. My interview with Chris lasted well over 90 minutes, and because of the long duration, I've decided to split this interview up into two shows. So let's dive right into the first part of the interview with Chris Funk. Joining us today is Chris Funk. We are honored to have him. He's a 36-year-old real estate investor from Houston, Texas, who dropped out of college at the age of 23. So I'm thinking, I guess, four or five years was too much for you. 
yeah, I can handle it, man. It was all this, you know, the books and studying and all this kind of stuff that just uh, wasn't wasn't my bag. So <laughs> I finally got out, <laughs> luckily. Hey, that's okay. It took me eight years to, to get all the way through. So the fact that you, you bailed out early on realizing it wasn't for you is you're ahead of the game. I think I ran out of money too. I think that played part of a, of a role. So that was a, that, catalyst. that helps. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was like, Oh, you know, tuition's how much? And Oh, I don't have that. Okay. So I guess I'm done yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. So at, at 23, you, you quit school and you, and you go to work construction, uh, renovating homes and remodeling Yeah. for a lot of investors and landlords. Uh, and you had the, uh, the goal of learning the, uh, you know, learning the process inside and out so that you could own your own real estate. So take us, if you can, take us into when real estate, why real estate? What was your aha moment? Like, I want to do this. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, the whole thing was by design. You know, I, I, I hit the ground pretty soft. You know I mean? I came home from school. My parents were like, Hey, you know, come on home and we'll, you know, you figure out where you're going to work and we'll get you set up or whatever. So I had a place to come home to and everything. It wasn't a big deal. And it, and it was really the perfect environment for, for a young person to start their own company. You know, when you're, when you got kids and you, you know, got a nine to five and bills and stuff, it's a lot of harder to, to just take off and, and say, I'm going to, you know, spread my wings and do this thing over here. Um, so, so I, you know, I come home and, uh, I found a job. I think, uh, you know, one of my parents' friends had a, construction company or uh something and i started working for them doing uh as a helper you know just general labor stuff like that and uh it's like okay got income coming in uh okay so that's covered i can pay insurance for my car like we got the basics going on and you know and then i started to talk to my dad about uh life and you know what i was going to do and he's a real estate appraiser my mom used to own her own real estate appraising company my dad owns his own real estate appraising company so i come from two business owners and entrepreneurs and, and real estate appraisers. So so kind of had a leg up in that arena. That's uh, a great pedigree. Yeah, it was, it was super, you know, and, and I kind of always danced around the, the world of real estate, either, you know, working, doing a, a David weekly homes internship when I was in college or working at home Depot or, you know, every job I had seemed like kind of connected up to real estate in some way. And, um, so I, I remember reading this book when I was a lot younger, um, and it was the pamphlet before Rich Dad, Poor Dad came out. It was like this little kind of, you know, trifold thing stapled together. Maybe it was 30 pages or something. And I remember seeing that at my dad's office. I'm like, hey, do you have that little pamphlet? And uh, he goes, yeah, I think I still got that somewhere because I was intrigued by it. At a young age, I read this little pamphlet by Robert Kiyosaki. And so, um, so I, I Googled it. I was like, oh, he's got a book now. Great. I read it. I was like, dad, this is what I want to do. I want to invest in real estate. This seems like um, it just makes the most sense. You know, you can flip for income. You can hold for long-term wealth. Everything goes up in value. Like you can borrow all the money. Um, you know, this seems like something that if I can master this, I'll kind of be set for life. I won't have to learn a new, you know, switch jobs and, and try something new. So what attracted me was the idea that if I could learn this one thing, um, I'd kind of be set up. I'd have a profession for the rest of my life and, and something that would gain financial momentum the longer I did it because the thing that scared me the most was retiring and, you know, like wondering how my 
savings is going to do. Like that's so linear, you know, you're going to reduce your income to put it in savings and then you're going to put it in the stock and see if it goes up or down and maybe it does or doesn't, or maybe the whole thing crashes right before you retire and you're broke and you live under a bridge. Like that doesn't sound good, you know? So I was very intrigued by the, by the design of the real estate investing system and how you could flip for money today and invest for money tomorrow. And even the flips for tomorrow would give you money for today. So that pretty much made up my mind. And, and from that point, I just started going to all the, you know, gathering, kind of soaking up as much info as I could. And, uh, and I, and, and at that point I was doing a little, uh, remodeling work and I met <laughs> my first, uh, boss, first and last boss, um, at, uh, at the real estate investment club. And he did a lot of renovation. He owned a company that did, uh, jobs exclusively for investors. And, uh, so we fixed up homes for, uh, flippers and landlords and all different types of investors. And he approached me and, uh, and said, uh, you know, this is what we're going to do. And uh, he said, here's what I'll pay you. And, uh, it was, it's about the same that I was making, I think at, uh, the construction job. And, so I just, I said, sure, that sounds great. You know, in fact, I want to be an investor someday. And I said, and, if, and just to be totally honest with you, because I've always been that kind of upfront, brutally honest guy. Um, I was like, I'm, I'm probably going to leave here and, and quit and, and start investing. And I'm probably going to do that as soon as possible. And he said, well, I appreciate the heads up. Uh, if you will give me your word that you'll stay here for a year, then, uh, then I'll train you up and, you know, get a year out of you and, and then you can leave and whatever. So, um, nice. That's like a paid mentorship right there. Internship all rolled into one. It really was. And he was a brilliant, um, uh, I guess a remodeler. Uh, this guy had a mechanical mind and he understood the, uh, home building process, uh, and, and the renovating process, which is almost the same, very similar in, in an amazing way. I mean, had a, had a great grasp of it. So under his tutelage, you know, I, I really got my hands dirty and, you know, I think the very first house we had, uh, you know, he walked in, I showed up, I met him there. And next thing, you know, this big fat redneck walks in with no shirt on and a pistol. And I'm like, Oh, is this guy, Oh, that's my boss. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it, the house is burned down, you know, so it's like picture me standing in a house that's halfway burned down. This guy's got his button up shirt opened and his, you know, gun and his shirt flapped in the wind. And I'm like, Oh, here we are. This is the, we're in Texas, you know? And, um, and then Chewy oh, comes in, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, this little Hispanic dude that's like four feet tall and he comes in and they start, you know, jibber jabbering back and forth and you know, the rest was history. So I, I learned, uh, I think the very first rehab we did was a burnout, you know, and I got to see the process of here's what you do first, second, third, here's how to tell a good crew. Um, every little nuance of the construction business, uh, I was just thrown into it and I loved it because I've always been fascinated with the construction side of real estate. I uh, still am. So, <laughs> so I worked for them for the guy for a year. Exactly a year, or did you give him a little more time, or were you ready to, you know, at that at that three hundred day three sixty six, were you out the door? He fired me on day three sixty five. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we were both kind of uh, 
you know, stern minded or whatever you want to call it. We had a disagreement about some time off or something. And, uh, and it was coming up on my one year and he said, well, you know what? I'll just do this rather than go back and forth. How about this? You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. I was thinking about maybe another six months and he's like, nope, you're done. <laughs> and, um, oh, wow. at, at that okay. point I had, I'd done a big wholesale deal. Um, you know, a couple of weeks before that. And so I was like, well, I got a few bucks in my pocket. I guess it's, uh, I guess I'm out of the airplane now and time to pull the parachute, you know, see what happens. Um, nice. so, so I kind of did that. I just, I just went for it. And, uh, so he, he, he burned the boats for you, pushed you out yeah, of the plane and right. here you go. Well, he did yeah. you a huge favor. He did. He did. And I'm still friends with the guy today, Sean Sherry, the pinnable renovators, great guy. And, um, yeah, yeah. I owe a lot of my success to, uh, to what I learned working for Sean. Sean Sherry, he owes me uh, some money for that plug. That's right. But, uh, continue please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the rest is history. You know, that's kind of how I got into it. Um, my parents, like I said, both kind of exposed me to the fundamentals of real estate appraisal at a pretty early age. Uh, and then I went to all the clubs in town, the local real estate groups and, uh, worked for Sean for a year. And, um, after that, you know, I was like, kind of found my place as a wholesaler and, uh, just started hitting it hard and, uh, doing as many deals as I could do. Cool. If, if we could, this, uh, I'd like to drill down a little bit on, you know, the, you mentioned the, the appraisal background and, and that process. And for, for someone who obviously this, this podcast is going to be geared for people who already have some type of knowledge of real estate, but mm-hmm. let's say, uh, I just let, I, you know, it's Houston. We just got downsized from oil and gas, and now I've got this 401k I don't know what to do with. I'm thinking about doing a little private lending, but I'm scared because you know, I know what my house, I paid for it because I live in it. But mm-hmm. walking into a property, first time, how could somebody, it's not going to happen overnight, but how can somebody begin to to start analyzing that? I mean, how, I mean, there's books out there, yeah, but like from you coming from, coming from your perspective with the pedigree that you have, and and knowing how direct or knowing how to get to an AR, a, a, a value very quickly, mm-hmm. someone who's completely wet behind the ears green, what would you start having them do to start that process of learning the appraisal, learning how to evaluate a, a, a property's condition? Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the thing that kind of helped me was the general idea of appraisal. You know, I, they didn't teach me like as a kid, like how, you know, to adjust comps or anything. What they did was they said, look, here's the big picture. Um, your friend has an apple, right? And your other friends have mm-hmm. apples, all right? And you're basically just trying to figure out how similar is this apple to these others? Well, Johnny's apple's a little bit bigger. Sally's apple has a dent in the side, you know? And you're all just kind of making adjustments for that and looking back at your buddy's apple and trying to figure out how does it compare, you know? So I knew the general idea and, uh, and for someone new, that's all you're really doing is you're just looking at your house. You're comparing it to the next most similar house that you can find. And then you're trying to come to a value based on that. So, you know, my dad always told me growing up, the best comp is the one on the same street, you know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, comparable sale is, is, is a home that's sold within the last six months that's in the same neighborhood and within a half a mile of the one you're comparing it to in the best case scenario, it's going to be similar 
in size, square footage, uh, bedroom and bathroom configuration. Uh, yeah, you say plus or minus 10%, usually kind of a good figure to use. Uh, if you got a three bedroom, you're looking for other three bedrooms. Uh, if you got a two bathroom, you're looking for other two bathrooms. If it's two story, look for two story. Um, things like that. So you're basically looking through the multiple listing service of realtors who have sold homes in that neighborhood and looking for similarities. And you're going to use the, the closest homes to, to the one you're trying to get the value for to determine that. So you'll find three homes, typically three, three to five homes that are as close as possible to the one that you're trying to get the value for. And then as an appraiser, they make, um, adjustments uh, based on these these certain factors that make it different. So if it's a little bit bigger, they have a mathematical, you know, adjustment that they will make. A lot of times it's a percentage. So they'll say, well, this one's 10% larger, so I'm going to make a 10% adjustment for this. And it's really that simple. You're basically just doing like, kind, and, and comparing homes to other homes. And it's pretty easy in neighborhoods that have activity, you know. So if you're in the Heights in Houston, Texas, uh, you know, you're going to find probably several comps on the same street. You know, um, you're definitely going to find a whole bunch within a half a mile radius. And so it's usually pretty easy. Then you just have to filter down because you might have too many to look at. You know, you pull your, your search and it's uh, with that criteria. What if, it, you know, 60, 70 results, that's too many to really make a conclusion. Uh, so you would kind of filter down. And, and tighten up on your search until you get a smaller number of variables. And, and then you just kind of come to a value. So nowadays, I just kind of, I, I do that. I try to get it down to less than 10 comps. Um, one of my major rules is not to cross a major street. Uh, you know, That's you, a good rule. Yeah, you can have a neighborhood sometimes that overlaps a large street. Um, and, and it's, you know, you're pulling your comps, so you're within a half a mile radius. And you're in the same neighborhood, but the reality is that on one side of the street, you have uh, a bayou maybe that backs up to some of these homes. Or you'll have, a, you know, th that part of the uh, neighborhood basically butts up to a less desirable neighborhood and it has a lot of through streets. Well, people are not going to want to live there as much as they're going to want to live on the side where it's all the good neighborhood, you know, so it's kind of the, um, think of it as if you were going to live there yourself, you know, and I always tell people that like drive the neighborhood, look at it. Does it feel like something you'd want to buy? Is it a place you'd want to live? Um, you know, if you see a huge power line, I've had people ask me this, well, it has a huge power line in the backyard. Like it's so big, you can actually hear the power line buzzing and it's right in the backyard. Is that going to affect the value? Well, you just brought it up. So it's concerning you. You think it would concern others? Of course it would. Is that going to affect their? Yeah, absolutely. You know, would you want your kids playing back there and the things buzzing and the forty thousand volts of power? You know, yeah, it's going to affect the value. Common sense, you know. That's that's great. Not to mention the cancer threat, but yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Allegedly, allegedly, uh, there's no, you know, I have no proof of that. But let's face it, like you said, common sense. Yeah, two things but, being uh, equal, you're going to take the one that doesn't have that potential risk, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. And if that's the only one, you're going to want a discount for it. So well, that's why this ties it so well into uh, you know, private lending because it, it is. I mean, at the end of the day, the job of the private lender is to mitigate his or her risk. Mm -hmm. And 
and this is a, a great example of how you, know, you look at it, not only from an investor, whether it be wholesaling or landlording or whatever, but just coming at it. I think it's a great lesson that lenders uh, c- can learn as well, um, especially people who are trying to get into it. Just, you know, I've always said just start walking properties. Mm-hmm. You know, just go look, when you go to your friend's house for the cocktail party, just go back there. If, if I was going to buy this, mm-hmm. what would be my concerns, you know, mm-hmm. and, and start to start to start to en- encompass that? Because, you know, just like anything, no one's going to learn something overnight. But if you start little by little, you know, the, the a thousand mile journey starts with one step and you just keep doing those steps and it comes um, a little a little more natural each mm-hmm. time. With, and, and more importantly, you build confidence. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to, you talked about fine tuning. You know, you start off with like 60 comps, you know, three bedroom, two bath, 1,800 square feet, 8,000 8, square foot lot. What do you, when you fine tune those comps, what do you, what do you, how are you doing that? Are you looking for amenities, furnishings, you know, the, 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 the details of, you know, is it granite? Is it crown molding? What, what kind of walk us through what, how you fine tune your comps to get to a good, a good uh, sample size. Okay. Yeah, sure. So as you get down to, let's say you, you, you get down to uh, 15, you know, and you're pulling it, you say you start with 30 you down to 15, you're getting pretty close in physical location. They're all now within a couple blocks. Um, you're getting down to where uh, they're all three bedroom and you still have really too many to, to compare. So the next thing that I'm looking for is condition. And so I will usually go, depending on how your uh, MLS is set up, I have a thing where I can just click on the photo and it'll just do like a, a quick view of, of just the photos. Cause I really don't want to look at all the pages and click back on my browser. I just want to click, quickly look at the front of the home and scan through a couple of the interior photos and see how that compares to my house. And if you really want to dig deep into it, I'm usually going to run comps in three different ways. I want to know what's the house worth as it sits. So if I'm buying a junker or if I'm a private lender lending on a junker, I'm running comps to see have any other junkers sold on the MLS that are very similar to mine because that gives me my as is, um, you know, it's kind of like Kelly Blue Book. You got your pr- your private party value, your your trade in value. You know, I'm kind of looking for that trade in value. What would or that private party value rather? What would the general public, the individual, buy this for if it was listed for sale in in a public environment uh, like MLS? So I'm looking for that. I want to know what's this thing worth as is. Second thing I'm looking for is where's its potential going. What's the uh, after repaired value? So if it's worth 80 and another one down two streets over, it was all kind of screwed up, foreclosure or something, sold for 80, I feel pretty comfortable buying it for 70 because I know that worst case scenario, I could uh, turn right around, list the property and probably bail out uh, without having to come up with any cash, maybe even turn a profit. So if that looks good, we've passed the first test. The second thing I'm looking for what would that house sell for if it was fixed up? So I'm looking at the same configuration. I'm scanning the photos, um, and I'm looking for the one that's been all all redone by an investor. So you're going to find, usually pretty quickly, you're going to find one that's been rehabbed. Depending on the neighborhood, sometimes you won't. If you find a rehabbed one, let's say that's using those same numbers, let's say that rehabbed one sold for 150 Now you pass the second check because I can sell it for almost twice what a what I'm paying for now or over twice what I'm paying for now if I fix it up. And if I can fix it up for less than 80 grand, I'm going to turn a huge profit. 
you know, so if I'm going to buy it for 70 and put 30 in it and it can sell for 150, then we've passed two checks. It's worth more than what I'm paying for it right now as is. It's got plenty of upside potential to rehab it and make a profit. And then the third thing I'm looking for is the rental comps. But before we go to rental comps, let me talk about the, the as is comps. So you got really three kinds. You got, you got torn up houses, you got rehabbed houses, and then you got mom's house that, you know, looks like mom's house. You know, grandma's house, I call it. Grandma's house, mom's house. Probably grandma. smells like it too. Right. You know, there's probably nothing wrong with grandma's house, um, but it's got orange curtains. It's got green carpeting, you know. Shag. Yeah. The wiring, the plumbing, the windows, the doors, it's all from 1963. Um, but it's maintained, you know. So you got those as-is comps. And you'll see the difference real quick when you start flipping through MLS. You go, oh, man, I really like that one. I'd live there. And you got the one you're like, well, there's nothing wrong with it, you know, but you don't get too excited. Those are your as-is comps. So I'm kind of looking at those two. And you know, you kind of just have to use your judgment. Sometimes you won't find any junker comps. You'll only find grandma's house comps. Sometimes you won't find any rehab comps. You'll only find junker. So just be aware that there's really three different kinds of comps. You know, the junkers, the, the as is, and then the rehab ones. So I'm kind of looking at all three of those to paint a picture. Um, it also helps to know when you're selling the home. Um, if, if they're all junker comps out there and you're going to be the only rehab comp, you may want to double check on your, you know, neighborhood and see if that's really the place you want to be doing a rehab. Um, you know, vice versa. If you're going to try to just buy this thing and resell it without fixing it up and all the comps out there, rehab comps, you know, you may or may not have a market for that type of property out there, but typically you do. Typically it's the other way around. You know, if there's, if there's rehab comps out there, you can definitely sell it as is because a lot of rehabbers are going to want that deal. But on the flip side of the coin, if nobody's really rehabbing out there, they're all junkers, you might have a hard time finding a, a qualified uh, a buyer on the back end once it's rehabbed. So, so I look at a, those three and then I look at rental. You know, rental kind of rounds out the whole thing. And rental is my, my parachute. That's what I'm going to do if I can't sell it. Can I, can I stop you right there before we get into rental? Because I, I hate to interrupt you, but I'm going to forget if I Oh, don't. yeah, please do. MLS, mm -hmm. do you have agent access? Well, yeah, since both my parents are appraisers, I, we just share information. So uh, that's how okay, I gain so, access to MLS. So right out of the gate, you're juicing. You're going to Lance Armstrong. Yeah, basically. Everybody there. Okay. <laughs> basically. That's, I'm not, you know, hey, well, you're not running the Tour de France, so um, that's okay. Well, at least not yet. Anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk to I, – I, I myself have uh, – curried favor with certain people that have, have allowed me access in, in my lending career but uh it's not absolute it, it is it is the gold standard i would say mm -hmm. uh, the, the multiple mls for sure but i've also lent without using it because i didn't have uh, you know out, out of county for example uh on the east side of the state i've i've, I've lent uh, over there and i said no early on because i didn't have any access and i i, I didn't know any realtors who could you know give me give me a quick uh comparative uh, comp analysis mm -hmm. for someone who doesn't have MLS access. I mean, you know, someone who, who doesn't have the access, right. How, how would you, you know, how could they, how could you get, what, what advice could you give them to have a reasonable understanding of those comps? You know, maybe not to the, to the, to the dime. Yeah. But, you know, let's say if it's 72,000 versus 73,000, there's enough margin <laughs> there that 
it shouldn't make or break a loan. Yeah, exactly. So, the whole thing is is uh, private lending is predicated based on the asset. You know, the, the the whole thing we're doing here is the asset has to pass with flying colors all by itself with plenty of equity, and, and that's kind of what holds the whole thing up, right? So, um, I tell people if you need, I've said this for years, if you need a calculator, it's not a deal. If you're trying to, you know, figure out what percentage of value, no. But if I tell you, hey, man, this looks like everything around here is going for 150 and this thing's 70, yeah, I can tell you right now without even thinking about it, that sounds good. Now, I'm going to want to know the repairs, but generally I'm like, yeah, that looks good. So one thing Zillow does do it now is they show recent solds. There is a tab, there's a, there's a box you can check to say include recent solds. And because of some of the regulations with uh, the MLS, they will a lot of times give you a range. And MLS actually does this now too. MLS will give you a range of solds. So um, it'll say this house sold on or before January 1st through January 31st this year, and it sold between 115 and 125 Yeah. So that's pretty cool. A lot of times you can just take that range, take the mean of those two numbers, whatever, you know, 120, and just use that. And that's getting you real close. And if you do that with three or four comps, you've got a pretty close number, you know, and it, and it may actually be really, really accurate when you put that side by side because um, I can do that, not logged in, and then I can log in and I can see them. It's usually, I'll tell you, if it's 125 and 135, it's usually the mean. Yeah, you're talking about looking at like MLS, for example, as a as, as a, a retail consumer, artist, yeah, uh-huh. as a consumer coming off the street. I want to buy a house, not as a, an agent or a broker logging in. Correct. And, and just, to, just to clarify that. So okay, so Zillow has that option. Your local MLS should have that op- option as well uh, elsewhere in the country. Yes. Um, and the I Houston know there one are does. Other, for, for sure, HAR does. Yes, absolutely. they do. Which is a great little, it's a nice little tool. Uh, yeah. If, especially yeah. A, a quick down and dirty assessment of something. Yeah. Uh, I, I've used that. I was not aware that Zillow was doing that, but I haven't been to Zillow in a while. So interesting. Some Zillows will actually give you the actu- the, the exact sale price. It'll say recent solds, and then it'll tell you down to the, the penny what it sold for. Which, and that's pretty cool too, you know, to have that exact number right there on Zillow. Uh, Zillow is an app that I have on the homepage of my phone. You know, it, mm-hmm. it tells me where it is. It tells me a, a picture of the front of the house. It tells me the configuration according to whatever kind of appraisal data that's out there, um, and it's just kind of all there, all in one spot. So that's why I like Zillow. Um, I probably wouldn't buy a house just based on a quick look at Zillow. But back to your question, um, I would always get a second opinion from a professional. And and the easiest way to do that is to just call a few realtors that farm that area, you know, Um, and and just look, you start with Zillow, you pull up your house, you look at the ones that recently sold around it, it's going to have the name and phone number of the realtor that sold it. So I'm going to call two or three realtors if I don't have access to MLS and I'm going to say, Hey guys, I'm looking at uh, buying this or property or lending money on this property. And, um, and I'll, I'll here's what I would typically do. So let's say same numbers. We think it's worth 150 after repair. We think it's worth 80 as is, and we have a contract for 70 or our borrower is going to buy it and he's borrowing 70 to buy the house, whatever. Um, I'm typically going to go in there and go, Hey man, so I got this house. that's all torn up 
for a hundred grand in this neighborhood. What do you think? Do you think that's a good deal? Do you know what the comps are out there? And I'm going to have to sell it when I'm done. So I may need some help with that. What do you think? So I'm letting them know, Hey, there's a possibility I could hire you to sell this for me. Uh, and, and here's what I'm doing in a hundred grand. And if they say a hundred grand is a deal, you need to take it. That's a pretty good indication. And then I, yeah. a lot of times I'll tell them, so if I could buy it for 70, what would you say? And they'd say, well, I'd close, I'd close yesterday if that's the price. <laughs> yeah. If you get that from a couple of realtors that work that area heavily, you're probably in good shape. Um, you're looking at the Zillow, you're looking at those comps, you're getting the realtor. Uh, I don't know if they're allowed to run comps and just email them to you. I think they can. Um, but I would ask for that. I would say, well, would you mind uh, running me a few comps and sending them to me? And then when I get ready to sell this, I'll, I'll definitely you know, consider you as, a, as an option to uh, represent me in the sale of the home. You can absolutely do that because okay. I've done that without even selling, just on just on lending. You know, friends that are realtors, okay, uh, catch them on a catch them on a slow day. Yeah, give them, give them a an address and bam, comparative mar- market analysis is emailed in PDF within three to five minutes. That's true. They've got it so streamlined now where they can just click, 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 and it'll shoot it right out. So if you catch him at his desk, he, he's and he's not busy. Yeah, you might get a some comps real fast. Okay, good to it, know. It, yeah. No, it is it is geared towards uh, retail buyers. Sure, but so you know if if you're but you know you can tell them that you can you can you know if depending on your relationship I think with the realtor, uh, obviously if you just met someone at a at a RIA or some meetup, I I probably wouldn't do that. But yeah, Yeah. if you have a you know build a relationship with them and you know and heck throw them you know if somebody needs a realtor, say hey no I know this person you know and and then make sure they know that you're the one that referred them so you can get some comps out of them which is nice yeah absolutely if they get business they're they're likely to reciprocate that absolutely yeah Yeah. absolutely so so i like that i like also like that as well um what uh what are you using to establish your 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 comparables for uh, rent rates and let me just add one last thing and i'll jump to rentals oh sure if if someone's lending money for the very first time order an appraisal if they, if they don't feel comfortable and they've run their comps and they really just want to have another layer of security, order an appraisal. You know, 350 450 bucks. Done. Yeah. Tell the borrower, say, hey, man, this is my first time doing it. I'm going to get an appraisal. Do you mind paying for that? Is that a big deal to you? And he's going to go, that's fine. It's way less than nine points that the – you know, hard money guys going to charge me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great point uh, because – you know, as you know, I mean, real estate investors are notoriously cheap people. Yeah. You know, we'll cut off the nose just to spite the face and and save yeah. a thirty five dollar cleaning fee. Yeah. However, when I've to me that's always been a red flag in my lending. If somebody balks at an appraisal, and, I, and I'm not talking about a slam dunk deal. Okay, yeah. I'm talking about you know, if 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 every house in a neighborhood is one hundred and fifty grand, this one needs twenty thousand, and it's they, and you, you know they need sixty to buy it and twenty to fix it up. You know, there's enough. There's enough spread there. Sure. Okay, you might not need an appraisal, but if you have any question, the lender has any, especially yeah. a newbie lender, has any question about what the value is, whether it be as is or after repaired value, and and if and if an investor is going to balk at a, a four three or four hundred dollar appraisal yeah. because it's too expensive, then it's probably not a deal. Yeah, yeah, or or that's probably not a borrower you want to do business with. Exactly. Exactly. Because on both sides of the coin, you know, what's $300 to on a deal? That's nothing. Right. And then on the other side of the coin, if you take $300 out 
out of your yield on your private money? What does it take you from a 12 or a 10 down to a, you know, 11.8 or something like it, it really doesn't affect either side that much. So, no. and it's probably the number one mistake that both sides are making <laughs> both lender and investor, especially in this market is they're paying too much. So, um, maybe I lean into that even more strongly than I originally did. Just get an appraisal. If you're worried about it, like you said, if there's plenty of equity, go for it. If there's a question, order an appraisal, you know, order two. If you still have a question, order another one. Like it's, it's not very much money and it's a third party and it's guaranteed you're going to see something on that appraisal you didn't see before both sides. So, you know, beat that horse to death, but that's an easy thing to do. And I know a good appraiser if you guys need one. So <laughs> I bet, yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> but uh, cool. in all honesty, my mom's retired. My dad's semi-retired. So, I mean, my dad doesn't even really want to do residential anymore. So if you got a commercial, you might call him, but if it's a residential, he's probably not interested. Um, anyway, that being said, that's kind of how I feel about getting appraisal. It's, it's just not going to hurt you. Um, gotcha. And say most, most borrowers I've borrowed, I've lent, um, I can just tell you as a borrower, I've had lenders lend too much. Now I repaid them. I refied it out. It was fine. But I thought to myself, I wouldn't lend that much on this deal. You know, I've had that happen <laughs> before and I, and I know I'm going to do fine on it. So I'm not worried about it, but, but I can just tell you, I see my friends pay too much for properties all the time. I see lenders lend too much all the time. And that's the first and biggest mistake. And it's the one thing that if you get that right, Almost nothing else can go wrong. There's very little else that can screw your deal up if you get that part right. You know? so, uh, so I lean heavily on, on loan to value. That kind of leads us back to what we're talking about. But, um, Love that nugget. Yeah, that, that, that's number one. You know, don't overborrow. Don't overbuy. Don't overlend. Don't pay too much. That is your, your number one thing. And don't be afraid to ask a borrower to bring money to the table to make up the difference. You know, if you're comfortable at Scan 70 the game. Yeah, and he's wanting to buy it at 90, don't turn him down. And I see that happen a lot. I'm like, don't just turn the guy down. Just tell him, say, Hey man, based on this deal, I'll lend you $70,000. Anything above and beyond that, just bring it to the closing and we'll get the deal done. That's perfect. Now. Yeah. Bring, bring the money to the table. Let's get the deal done. Yeah. Yeah. And just tell him that, say, you know, here's, here's how much I feel comfortable lending on the deal. And then move forward, you know. Um, so anyway, without diving too much into that, the rental comps are kind of like I said before, that's my bailout. That's how, if I can't sell this flip, this is assuming that I'm trying to flip the house. If I can't sell it, my next option is to rent it out. That is also the lender's option. <laughs> if the deal goes bad, he has to take it back. Most lenders I know keep them as rentals. Some guys are super active and they'll just, you know, jump right into the investor shoes and hire a contractor, finish the job, put it on the market and get it flipped. But most private lenders and hard money lenders that I know, if they like the area at all, they're just going to stick a for rent sign, get that thing moved along and, and off they go. Uh, so that's kind of what, it, why I'm looking at those rental comps. I want to know what, what can I get as a return on this thing? if I can't sell the property, you know, um, right. and that's really all I want to see with the rentals. And where, where are you looking for these, these, these rental comps? What, what websites are you going to, uh, MLS as well, or are there other uh, third party websites that you go to? Yeah, I use MLS pretty much exclusively 
for comps uh, and rental comps because it's just centralized. For me, it's easy. You can get them on Zillow, pretty accurate on Zillow. Um, there might be others, but I think MLS just makes it so easy because they're quantified. It's all in a list. You know how many days on market. Um, that formats, it's real media. All the data's right there. You know, so I think you can find them on other websites like Zillow, but Zillow and MLS are really the only two that I know of um, that'll show you those rental comps. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm going to ask you the really obvious question now mm-hmm. that uh, what's so attractive about private lenders and their money? Why, why use them uh, as a real estate investor? There are a lot of charlatans out there, especially on Facebook, you know, send me $500 and I'll get you an $80,000 loan. But like for you, like what, what, what makes it so, I mean, I know you use a lot of private money. So what, what is it about private money that you like so much and why you use it? Versus saying going and getting a huge business line of credit because you've you've been established long enough and I think you have enough assets you could. I'll have one. I don't oh, use it. You don't use it. Okay, there I have you go. one. I don't use it. I have a one point eight million dollar <laughs> line of credit that never gets used. Um, yeah. Okay. First question: Why if you're not using that one point eight? And second question: Can we talk after this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So let me give you the, the the you know the 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 second part of that. It is a guidance line, meaning it's not a line. (laughs) Right. Meaning you're personally approved to do this amount of business with our bank. However, we're going to nitpick every deal to death. Right. So that's why I don't use it. Um, The reality is I'm going to go back to the lender that's flexible and easy. Those are the two things that I like with a, with a private lender, he's easy to deal with and he's flexible, you know, flexible in, uh, terms, uh, mainly, mainly ARV, mainly percentage. Um, as a guy who, you know, does multiple deals, I like a lender that I can shoot him a deal. He can check it out, get back to me in a day or so and say, yeah, we can do that, Chris. And he's, and well, while I just told you, don't over lend. Now I'm going to tell you, if you want more business, <laughs> lower your standards essentially. Uh, and by lowering your standards, I mean be willing to lend a higher loan to value. Um, and, and that's kind of stepping away from the beginner game and kind of stepping into uh, an or, a more interve- intermediate or an advanced lender's shoes. Uh, and with an advanced lender, you're probably dealing with a more advanced borrower if that Absolutely. makes sense uh but that's what i like i like a guy i can text him hey man here's an address and some pics what do you think yeah i want to buy it for for 65 you think it's cool and he'll text me back and go yeah it's 65 i like it you want to close friday and i'm like yeah and he's like okay i'm like all right same terms as last time and he's like yep that'll work i'm like cool um I would say see Friday, but I, I want to actually go to closing. So I won't see him there and neither will he. So uh, cool. Thanks. You know, and then it's a done deal. <laughs> I like to reduce uh, the sales task of selling a lender on my deal down to a text, a clerical event. I like that as, as a, as a business owner, anytime I can speed things up, automate or, or just make it a, a yes, no thing. 
that's super cool to me. And it also gives me confidence as an investor to know that when I'm bidding on a, on a property out there, making an offer on a deal, I know the money's waiting. He said yes to the last 10 deals I brought him, the last 30 deals I brought him. You know, yeah, I kn- I've got the confidence to go out there and say, yeah, I'll close in a week. I'll close in four days when you want to do this, you know, and outbid the other investors that are, you know, can't compete with the terms that I'm offering. They need three weeks or, you know, something like that. Um, so, Definitely a higher level of, of uh, higher level of sophistication for lending and investing at that point. That mm-hmm. I think you're seeing a lot of that in the market right now is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people who need deals are going 75, 80, yeah. whatever they can do yeah. and yeah. putting it as a rental. Right. And, and, you know, I know some lenders who will chase along with that. They trust the investor mm-hmm. uh, and they don't think they're going to get bit. Mm-hmm. Um, for a new person lending, I'd say stay away from that. It's, oh, yeah. it's better to have, it's better to have no loan and half a percent a year than to get into something that um, can really come to bite you in the ass. And I mean, you, you, you won't lose everything. I mean, there's that, always that potential, I guess, for the absolute worst case scenario. But you don't, certainly don't want to take a ding when your first, you know, first five loans out there. You'd like to for them to be successful. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think I think that's one of the biggest things is is it, they're easy to work with, um, and and they can close in a, in a couple of days. Uh, that's probably, you know, I really ha- I, I say that's number one. It's obviously not. Because if that was the if that was number one, I'd be going with hard money lenders because they can always close in three or four days. That's not usually an issue. Um, some some can't some needs a little bit more time, but really the probably the biggest thing is that I'm not paying points with lenders. Very seldom am I paying points to private lenders. Um, mm-hmm. And so if people don't know what points are, points are a percentage of the deal. You're basically giving uh, a percentage of the deal as a fee to the lender for borrowing their money right up front. And, uh, you know, that can be anywhere from 1%, maybe up to five, six, seven, or potentially even higher depending on the situation. Um, and, and that just gets really expensive really quick, you know? So if you get six points on a $80,000 deal, that's five grand right there. Plus your closing just- costs. Plus your docs, your doc prep, your appraisal. Hard money is going to – the way I look at it is if you're closing with hard money, figure $10,000. Easy. You know? And the, and that – I'm like, man, that's, that's, a, that's a chunk of change. That takes a borderline deal and kind of blows it out, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And they a lot of times want skin in the game. So the, probably the real reason that I use private lending – is my ability to get the deal no money out of, no money out of pocket whatsoever. You know, if I'm buying it for seventy, that's the other thing is if I'm buying it for seventy, I'm always asking for seventy five. I don't want to have right. to write a check at the closing, give it to the bookkeeper, and then she's like, Okay, you've got how much in it? Okay, and then how much in the refi? Do you have to put more? Do you get anything back? It's just a lot of extra stuff. I would much rather have the lender put up all the money get a check back at closing for the difference, you know, $500, $1,500, whatever the difference is between what I borrowed and the actual cost to close. And, and then secondly, probably is the fact that it's done quickly and it's easy and I don't have to fill paperwork out and you know, all that kind of stuff. It's much easier to send a text or make a quick phone call than it is to go through a you know, nine page real estate application, you know? 
All right, I'm going to stop it right there. So make sure you tune in next week to hear the conclusion of Chris's interview on episode four. And I'd like to take a moment to remind you that you can lend a lot more than money in this world. You can lend time, compassion, and patience. So please go out and make the world a little bit better place, at least in the part that you have the most influence in. This is Keith Baker signing off for now. I'll see you next week on the Private Lender Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.